Okay. People, welcome to Think Jewish. And tonight's class, tonight's discussion is actually a very difficult one. And it's one of those moments where after I sent out to Kalanit the title, I wondered why I did that. And I'm going to share with you why. Because tonight's title is An Honest Man's or An Honest Person's Dishonesty. And obviously, where is that coming from? That is coming from the story of Yaakov. So here is a very, very intriguing discussion. Because Yaakov is called what? Ishtam. In the world of Kabbalah, he's known as Midat Emet. He is the simple, straight one. As they say in French, no shtick. Yes is yes, no is no. He tells Lavan in the end of the Torah portion, you know that I've worked for you faithfully. Anything that disappeared was my responsibility. No matter what happened, I paid you from my own pocket. He was as straight as can be. Ish emet. A man of truth. And yet in the Torah, we do not find a person that's put through situations where he had to use conniving like Yaakov. And it's a beautiful contradiction here. On one hand, we're saying he's the Ishemet. He's the honest person. And yet we find by him very famous cases of dishonesty. For example, how did he end up with the blessings? Rebecca overhears that, Jacob, that, that Isaac is telling Esau, bring me food, gladden my heart, and I will bless you. And what does she do? She comes running to Jacob and tells Jacob, this can't happen. You need to end up with the blessings. And Jacob's nervous. What does Jacob say? Jacob says, what happens if he touches me? And he'll see that I'm not Esau. Esau was very hairy. And what will happen then? He's going to end up cursing me instead of blessing me. And Rebecca says, on my responsibility. And then she goes out and she dresses him up, different opinions. The verse says that he clearly uses a goat skin, a goat's fur. And the other one, the other opinion is that it was actually the, ja the jacket which Adam took out of the Garden of Eden, which ended up with Noah, which ended up with Nimrod, which Esau killed and Esau conquered. He took it. And he trusted his mother only, so he gave it to his mother to watch. And that's, by the way, why when Jacob walked into the room, Isaac says, I smell the fragrance of the garden. The simple interpretation they say to that is because the coat he was wearing is the coat of Adam that came from the Garden of Eden. And thus Jacob picked up on the fragrance because for two years after he was put on the altar, he didn't come back with Abraham. He actually went into the Garden of Eden for two years and studied there. Thus he knew the fragrance. And then when he smelled this, he said, this is the fragrance. But if you think about it, bottom line, he stole his father's mind. His father clearly thought that he was talking to Asaph. So much so that he actually says a famous verse, the voice, the, the voice is the voice of Jacob, the hands are the hands of Asaph. He didn't trust him, he made him come, he wanted to touch him. And then finally, he seems to find comfort that this is Asaph, and he gives him a blessing. And what happens right when Jacob walks out, Asaph walks in, and Isaac's reaction is, Vayecherad, he trembled. What happened here? Who did I give the blessing to? He immediately realized who it was, so he said, Gamborachia, may he be blessed, may he be blessed. But the bottom line, Jacob tricked him. In yesterday's Torah portion, 
we find Lavan says the same thing. And Rashi clearly states that he stole Lavan's heart. He didn't say, I'm taking your daughters and I'm going. He went. So what's going on here? Out of all people, it is Jacob, who's called the Ish Emet, the epitome of honesty, who seems to keep on being put into a position where he has to be dishonest. Now, before I go any further, I must make a huge disclaimer. Whatever you're going to hear tonight, whatever we're going to talk about, based on teachings and Hasidus and so forth and so on, whatever you're going to hear tonight cannot be used as a license to be dishonest. I was at a class and I heard a Kabbalistic interpretation, so tomorrow I'm going to lie to my coworker. <laughs> Not happening. Bottom line is the verse in the Torah says, Umidvar Sheketirchak. It's a verse in the Torah. You have to distance yourself from lying. Plain and simple. It's a biblical verse, not a rabbinical custom. It's a biblical verse. Umidvar Sheketirchak. End the story. So whatever you're gonna hear tonight, please understand. I am trusting the maturity of the audience that's not going to misinterpret and misuse what you're hearing tonight. Extremely important, okay? So that was the official disclaimer. Now let's go further. Not easy what we're going to talk about tonight. Really not easy. Because how do you deal with this? How do you walk the fine line of realizing that the Torah demands we should be honest? And yet there are situations in our life which demand for us to be dishonest. So I'm going to, stro I'm going to throw out there first a story, a simple, very interesting story. What is the story? I did not hear this from the Rebbe directly. But, however, this is a story I heard. That the Rebbe told one of the Shluchim, when they put a, they sent into the Rebbe, about a, uh, an event that took place, the amount of people that went into the newspaper. So the Rebbe's message was as follows. When you talk to the newspaper, you've got to give a larger number because when people read the newspaper, they expect it to be an exaggeration. We all know that, right? We read in the newspaper, by this and this funeral, there was 800,000 people, right? So in our minds, we immediately say, oh, there was probably 500,000. Because we know when people give out press releases, the numbers fly up. So the Rebbe's message was to tell the truth is to lie. Because if you had 500 people at the event and you wrote down 500 people, everyone reading the article is going to assume that you had 300 people. Very interesting phenomena. So telling the truth is lying. And lying is telling the truth. I'm putting the story out there because... The definition of truth, the definition of truth sometimes demands that we either exaggerate or whatever it may be. Now again, my disclaimer stands strong. I'm not giving anyone a rabbinical license to start exaggerating or lying. Not. But I'm just presenting to you a very interesting case where the truth of honesty would demand that you lie so that the truth gets across. So I'm giving you a very weird scenario where in America media, you clearly know 
that giving a true number is sending a lie and giving an exaggerated number is sending the truth. Realizing how people read and what they do. Okay? But obviously that isn't enough for tonight. That isn't enough for what's going on. So I want to introduce you to introduce to you a very interesting statement in the Talmud. Talmud tells a story that the son of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi tells his father, I dreamt last night a dream. And in my dream, I saw an upside down world. And he explains, the Elyonim were betachtonim, and the Tachtonim were be'elyonim. Those that are above were below, and those who were below were above. Rabbi Shua ben Levi tells him that you should know it wasn't the Olam Hafoch that you saw. It was actually the way it really is. Now, the Rebbe's interesting twist on the insight to this Talmudic story is that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi's son was a Torah person. So if he's saying that I saw an upside down world, that means that biblically speaking, it was upside down. Somehow his father is telling him, deeper than your Torah knowledge, you should know that in essence, you saw the world the way it really exists. Let's decipher the story to get to where I'd like to get to with you for tonight's this conversation. The story is like this, that everything that's above is reflected below. However, how does it work? Think to yourself, if you have a stick, a big pole, and it falls, what happens? When it turns upside down, that which was on bottom of the pole previously is on top of the pole now, right? So hold your hand up and make a 180 degree turn. And what do you have now? That which was on bottom is on top. That which is on top is on bottom. And that is a very huge teaching and foundation in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus that you should know. That which is above is below here and that which is below is above. Just to make sense out of this, we're not here to get Kabbalistic for the sake of uh, getting Kabbalistic. This is the only way that we can understand, according to Kabbalah, the food chain. The food chain, according to Kabbalah, has to be that the smaller lives off the bigger. In nourishment, the way it works in the world of truth of Kabbalah, the lower has to nourish off the higher. You can't have the higher nourishing off the lower. And if you look in the food chain, it's exactly the opposite. The human is the highest. They're living off the animals. The animals live off the plants. The plants live off the minerals in the ground. So seemingly, the food chain, according to Kabbalah, is backwards. But now if you understand the story of Rabbi Yeshua Balevi and his son, he's telling him, no. What really happens is that that which is above is below and that which is below is above. And if you look at the secrets of creation, if you look in Genesis, you'll find that hakol hoya min ha'afar, everything came forth from the dust. Go back and read Genesis and you'll see. And God said, let the ground give forth produce. And God said, let the ground give forth living creatures. Everything comes from the ground. So ultimately speaking in Kabbalistic language, the lowest level, which is the inanimate, which has almost no life, is really the highest level. So in this world, 
the intellectual human is higher than the emotional animal, which is higher than the growing plant, which is higher than the inanimate rock. However, in Kabbalah speaking, it's quite the contrary. Everything came from the earth. Man was formed from the earth, animal came out of the earth, produce comes out of the earth, and in Kabbalah it makes sense. So what happens? Rav ben Levi's son is telling him, his father, Dad, I had a dream in which I saw everything upside down. The above was below and the below was above. And his father tells him, no, it's not so. In reality, what you saw is the real truth behind the scenes. The way it is in the supernal reality, in the supernal worlds. The focus that I, I'm putting here is the teaching of the Rebbe, blessed memory. That the Rebbe is saying that this wasn't a mistake from the son's part. Because the son's part, the son was a scholar, a Torah scholar. And he understood truth the way it is in the Torah. Thus understand that when he told his father, I saw an upside down world, that means Torah says it's an upside down world. And then comes along Rabbi Shubham Levi, his father, and says, listen, I know that according to Torah, you're right, it's upside down, but there's a deeper dimension. And according to the deeper dimension, you should know that it's not true. What you saw was the ultimate truth. Now, how could this be? If his son is telling him about Pitorah, which Torah is Torah Emet, this is the foundation of truth. It's upside down. What's his father telling him? You're right. A Pitorah, it's upside down. But there's something deeper. What could be deeper than Torah? The depths of all depths is the Torah Tena, the holy Torah of truth. So what's his father telling him? There's a greater truth, a deeper truth than Torah? No. God forbid. Thus Kabbalah and Hasidus introduces that there's two type of worlds. There's what we call Alma de Escasia and Alma de Escalia. There's the revealed world and there's the hidden world. In other places in Kabbalah you'll find it considered land and ocean. There's the creatures of the ocean and there's the creatures of land. You'll know, you'll remember, why was Moses called Moses? What did the daughter of Paro, Batya, say? This is an ocean creature. He comes from the hidden world. And I brought him forth from the hidden world. Which, by the way, according to Kabbalah, that is why Moses had a speech impediment. Because he comes from the hidden world. So any, any experience of revelation was for him a struggle. Speaking was far hard for him. Then there's the land creatures. So the land creatures come from the land, but they don't live in the land. They live above the land. The ocean creatures come from the ocean and they live within the ocean. What does that mean to us tonight? The land creatures do not have the absolute consciousness of their source and their true reality. While the ocean creatures live within the consciousness of their true source and the true reality. Which obviously source and reality means divinity. Their life source. So Moses is, a, is an ocean creature. Moses when he walked the face of the earth. He did not see nature as nature. He saw nature as nothing more than the glove upon God's hand. And to him the glove was transparent. So it was never science versus Torah. Because how could it be science versus Torah? If Torah is the hand of God and, and science is the glove on the hand of God, the transparent glove on the hand of God, there can be no real dichotomy between the two. No real contradiction. 
So you have the hidden world and you have the revealed world. In the hidden world, what do you have? In the hidden world, you have the reality of the way it is up there. And that's what Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Bar Levi, was telling his son. You're looking at the Torah, the way the Torah manifests itself in the revealed world. In the world of Revelation, you're right. In the world of Revelation, the sky is up and the earth is down. However, I'm telling you the way it exists, the Torah exists in the hidden world. In the hidden world, it's just the opposite. Let me just, one more point to this so it really becomes clear to us, and then we'll move on to where we have to get to. Because we're talking about Yaakov and Esau, and I'm telling you about a dream a son told his father. The 613 mitzvot are called the 613 amudim, the pillars. Now, how do these pillars work? To us, terrestrial beings, we know that the job of a pillar, of a beam, is to hold up the roof. Right? We're on the ground. We want to create a roof. How do you make sure the roof doesn't fall down? You build pillars, beams. Right? So to us, what is the concept of the beam of Torah? It's holding up heaven. How does it look from the spirituality point of view? Just the contrary. The 613 beams is coming down from heaven to hold up the earth. Because in their reality, true existence is heaven and earth, were we to lose focus, will immediately cease to be a reality. So the job of the 600 mitzvot is to help us hold up the earth that it should have a real reality. The real reality is by realizing that earth was created so that we can have mitzvah observance. So you follow the difference between the son and the father. The son sees it as it is in this world. A beam's job is to hold up the roof. So he's telling his father, I saw an upside down dream. It was weird. I saw a dream where the, 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 the heavens were holding up the earth. And his father tells him, you're right. According to the Torah, the way it is in this world, in this world, it reveals itself like we have the law. On the roof of a house, you have to put a fence that no one should fall down. Because the way the Torah manifests itself in this world, it's true. The earth is on bottom, the heaven is on top, and the earth holds up the heaven. The beams hold up the ceiling. However, his father tells him, in the world of the ocean, in the world of Moses' consciousness, who he's called the Nune Hayam, the Rizal refers to him as the big fish, the big giant whales of the, of the ocean. In their reality, heaven is sturdy. The earth is shaky. Thus, we need to have 613 pillars that will hold up the earth, connecting them to the sturdy heaven. So you see these two different type of realities. I'm going to present to you these two different realities now in a different dimension, which will talk about Jacob and Esau. You've heard this from me before in different classes, and just to connect it here today. There is the linear and there is the circular. For tonight's class, we're going to refer to it as Olam HaTikun and Olam HaTahu. Tahu was pre-existing to Tikun. As the verse says, in the opening verses of Genesis, that before creation, what was there? Tohu uvohu. 
There was chaos. That's what existed. And Rizal teaches us that Tohu was a world which existed and shattered. For tonight, we're going to refer to that as the hidden world. We're going to refer to that as the circular world. And then we're going to talk about Olam HaTikun. Olam HaTikun is the linear world. There's a top, there's a bottom, there's an orderly fashion, there's vessels, there's light. The light has to contain itself within the vessel and so forth and so on. And now we'll go back to the dream. From Tikkun's point of view, the orderly fashion of creation, what does the sun say? I had an upside-down dream. Because in the world of Tikkun, that's called upside-down. The head's on top, and the feet are on bottom. But when you talk about the circular world, in the circular world, there is no top. There is no bottom. In a circle, there is no top, and there is no bottom. And were you to put within the circle a head and a feet, right? The head is as close to one side of the circle as the feet is as close to the other side of the circle. So the head is no higher than the feet. If the definition of higher and lower is closer to the source, in the circular world, the head is no closer to the circle than the feet are. The circle encompasses both equally. Thus you have a whole different reality. So there's Olam Tohu and there's Olam Atikun. There's the world of Tohu, chaos, circular, and then there's the world of Tikun. In the world of Tohu, top and bottom has a total different definition. In the world of Tikun, top and bottom has a very clear definition. Now let's get to what we're talking about. What happens when a person from Tikun has a relationship with tohu. What happens to the definition of the word honesty? Because what is honest in the world of tikkun, the linear world, the world of top and bottom, the land creatures, is very different than what exists in the circular world. Again, focus. What is the way to be safe in the land creatures? to climb up high on the tree. What is the safeness in the ocean? The depths, because the little fish can't go that deep. So the definition of truth changes. When Tikkun has to deal with Tohu, we gotta go into a different realm of truth. Because the truth of Tikkun doesn't make sense in the world of Tohu. More than that, the truth of the world of Tikkun is not true in the world of Tohu. For those who learn Tanya, I'm just going to put in parentheses. There's a note from the Rebbe that they found in the Rebbe's office later. The Rebbe put notes on Tanya. They printed it. There's a note from the Rebbe, I believe, on chapter 10 in Tanya. Chapter 10 in Tanya talks about the Tzaddik. What is the name of Tanya? The book of the Benini. So Tanya is only for what? The paradigm of the intermediate. You and I. Two very strong parts to us. We're really schizophrenic. 
We have a complete animalistic soul with a loud voice and we have a complete godly soul. They're both real. The world of a Benoni. What is the righteous tzaddik? He only has one voice. As he says in the beginning of Tanya, halal King David said he's a tzaddik. Why? Because my heart is dead within me. He killed his Yetzara. So the Rebbe says, anything you're going to learn about chapter 10, the tzaddik in Tanya is not the tzaddik as the paradigm of a tzaddik. It's the tzaddik in the paradigm of the intermediate. So understand that what we're learning in chapter 10, we're learning the definition of a righteous person within the paradigm of an intermediate. However, when a righteous person learns the chapter 10 in Tanya, it doesn't make sense to him because he lives in the paradigm of a tzaddik. More than that, if a tzaddik's going to learn what an intermediate is in his book, Dalta Rebbe wrote a book called Book of Tzaddikim. We'll get into that at a different time, what happened with that book. But in that book, he may have explained to a tzaddik what a benini is. What he explains to a tzaddik what a benini is, is not what we know a benini to be. Because the paradigm of the ocean creatures are completely different than the paradigm of the land creatures. The circular and the linear. When the circular understands the linear, he has a circular understanding of the linear. When the linear studies about the circular, he has a, lin a linear paradigm of the circular. So understand that when we talk about these two worlds, the definition of truth in one is not truth in the other. And we actually find that, by the way, in Tanya. The Tanya that Rebbe clearly defines that what's called true for a Benini, an intermediate who's schizophrenic, davening holy on the street full of temptation, is very different than the truth of a tzaddik who never leaves his waters. Dr. Rebbe clearly says that this truth and this truth are two different truths. And what the Benini calls true, the tzaddik says is not true. It's a lie. But if you look in the Torah, what's the Torah going to say? The Torah is going to say that in the world of the Benini, Truth is truth. In the world of a tzaddik, truth is truth. But this truth is not their truth, and this truth is not their truth. So understand that when Yaakov is dealing with Esau, it's a whole different definition of honesty. Yaakov is the man of tikkun. Yaakov understands that God's plan is to have lights in vessels. Esau's world is tohu. There is no diminishing of the lights for the sakes of the vessels. And what happens then? There's a shattering of the vessels. There are two different truths. And now God gives Jacob the commandment, I want you to deal with Esau. For Yaakov to deal with Esau, he needs to deal with Esau on Esau's terms. And if he has to deal with Esau on Esau's terms, he has to not just live within his own honesty, he has to speak to Ace of his language of honesty. Now that's a whole different language. So much so that when we study the Torah, we see it clearly as dishonesty. Because for the world of Tikkun, what we know as right and wrong, top and bottom, the way Jacob got his blessings was dishonest. However, Ace of understood that language. 
Esau understood his language because that was his language. He understood what Jacob was doing. He understood all too well. And that's why he told his father, is that why you called him Jacob? Because he tripped me twice? Akvani Pamayim? I said, what do you mean twice? Once. He stole your blessing. He says, no, 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 no. In the beginning of the Torah portion, he stole the birthright from me. He didn't steal it, but he, he tricked him into selling it. He was hungry. He said, give me from the beans. And he said, sell me your birthright. He says, what is this birthright all about? What do you think Jacob told him? Jacob didn't tell him the importance and the beauty of the birthright. He told him, oh, you want to know what it is? It's very simple. The birthright, the firstborns have to work in the temple. And when you work in the temple, if you drink and go work in the temple, you're punishable by death. So immediately Asaph said, what? <laughs> this is going to kill me before I even start. Take it. It's yours. Later, he realized the value of it. But Jacob tricked him. Jacob spoke to him his language. What it means to you is no drinking. I'm out of here. Take it. It's yours. So you understand that there are certain experiences in your life in which you're going to play honest, you're going to be dishonest. Now my job here tonight and every night that I talk to you is not to teach you Kabbalah as it is in the heaven. It's to teach us how to live life here today. Because if not, Kabbalah is a waste of time. The job of Kabbalah is to help me serve God. Not to help me take off into esoteric space NASA. So let's talk about what this means to us. Let me give you one clear example in where dishonesty and honesty begins to play tricks on your mind. How many of you dear people here have ever had this conversation with yourself on being a hypocrite? How can I become Shomer Shabbat if I don't keep kosher? How can I light Shabbos candles if right after that I'm getting into a car and I'm driving? What does honesty demand? Honesty demands don't be a hypocrite. If you're not willing to stop driving on Shabbat, then what are you lighting Shabbos candles for? Lighting Shabbos candles is taking upon yourself Shabbat. And then right after that you're driving? That's a hypocrite. How can I say that I feel comfortable in an orthodox shul when I know that I'm not an orthodox Jew? Bottom line, people, Chabad is orthodox. We keep halacha. And we hate labels, but I'm just using the word orthodox as halacha. That's all. We keep halacha. So many people walking to Chabad are really hypocrites. What do you mean you daven on Chabad? You know good and well that you don't keep halacha of an orthodox Jew. Very interesting how all of a sudden the game of honesty plays. But let me ask you something. Who's talking to you? Who's telling you this? Very simply, it's not your godly soul because your godly soul is never going to tell you anything to stop you from doing a mitzvah. So who's talking to you? Your animalistic soul. Your animalistic soul comes from which world? Linear or circular? Comes from circular. So he's actually right. Because in the world of truth, everything has to fit. Everything. From the color you hear, to the way you dress, to the way you eat, to the way you daven, to the way you do business, has to all be halakha. Because you're saying that what? You daven at orthodox. Orthodox is supposed to be halakha. So the word hypocrite is actually true. But it's actually the most dishonest thing you can say about yourself. Because in truth, what's really happening is that we are all absolute Torah Jews. We just don't have the strength always to overcome every challenge. 
So for me, it's a juicy piece of Lashon Hara. And for you, it might be driving a Shabbat. We all deal with that. So what should I do? Oh, this morning, I was on the phone. And uh, I mean, God forbid to be on the phone more than five minutes without at least defaming someone. I mean, that's a mandatory thing. That's what phones were created for. So therefore, I shouldn't put on film today. How can I put on tefillin if I spoke Lashon Hara about this person? Not only that, but for the sake of juice, I actually exaggerated. So now I spoke Lashon Hara and lied on top of it. That's it. No tefillin for me today. I'm a hypocrite. Or is the truth what? The truth is that I'm not a liar and I'm not a gossiper. However, the Yitzhahara got the best of me. So therefore, I should let him get the best of me also and not put on tefillin? So I'm not ready not to drive on Shabbos. So therefore, I shouldn't light Shabbos candles? Now let's take a good look in the mirror. Who's the real me? The Yitzhahara wants you to believe that the real you is the one that doesn't keep Shabbat. Why is he doing that? He's using that honesty for the sake of dishonesty. How do you combat that? You combat it the exact opposite. Talk to him his language. Use dishonesty for the sake of honesty. Now I want to be clear what I just said. The Yitzhahara is using honesty for the sake of dishonesty. He's hacking you a China that you're a hypocrite because he wants you to do an Avera, not to do a mitzvah. So your Yitzhah should do the exact opposite. You should use dishonesty for the sake of honesty. To speak the language of Anthony Robbins and all other people in that field, fake it until you make it. What does those words mean, fake it until you make it? What it means is that I am Shomer Shabbos. I, I don't do this, I don't do that, I turn on the radio, I get in the car, I do that, but whatever, you have a hundred things. We all do our various. Welcome to the real world. But what happens here? What happens here is that you fake it until you make it because you know beneath all the layers you are a pure Jew. That's dealing with issues. Huh, welcome. If you have a Jewish mother, you're dealing with issues. What's, what's so surprising about that? So the practicality of this is an honest man's dishonesty is used when he's dealing with his Yetzirahara or his animalistic soul that comes from the circular world. So let's talk your language. You're telling me I'm a hypocrite for lighting Shabbos candles. I'm telling you that you're a hypocrite for making me do things I shouldn't do. Because I am a good person. I am the only child loved by God. Period. End of story. So all of a sudden you're realizing back what the Rebbe said. Sometimes when you're being honest, you're being dishonest. And sometimes when you're being dishonest, you're being honest. When Yitzhahara comes to tell you not to do this, not to wear tzitzit, what, you're going to wear tzitzit? You don't wear a kippah. What, are you going to wear tzitzit in your pocket? When you have the chutzpah to wear a kippah in downtown Miami, then you wear tzitzit. Wrong. Wrong. I'm not ready to wear a yarmulke yet. I'm not, I don't know how it's going to affect my office. But tzitzit that I can hide in my pants, why not? So he's using honesty for the sake of dishonesty. Answer him back. Talk to him in his language. Just don't hear him. Who are you talking to? Me? Are you kidding me? Of course I'm Shomer Shabbos. Of course I've got a long beard. You don't see it. It didn't grow yet. Soon I'll let it grow. Talk to him his language. Fake it until you make it. Whatever you could do, do. Because that's the real you. That's the honesty. The dishonesty is what he's telling you. Even though it seems to sound the opposite. So first thing we're talking about is hypocrisy. How to deal with that.
I want to tell you another thing. Another thing over here, which is very important, and I'm telling you this now, even though I should have said it a little earlier, is as follows. Do you know that Rashi plays a very interesting game? A game that many of us would like, yeah, right. What did Rashi do with Yaakov? He asks like this. Isaac asks, are you Esav? And what does he answer? Anochi Esav Bechorcha. I am Esav, your firstborn. Rashi says something very interesting. Rashi says that Jacob took a mini pause. I take a pause. Esav is your firstborn. Shtick. He played shtick. Follow what he did? He took like a little pause here. I. Well, I'm Jacob. I. Esav is your firstborn. Here's a very interesting teaching from the previous Rebbe. It's one of my favorite teachings from the previous Rebbe. He says like this. You're not allowed to lie, but who says you have to scream out the truth from the sixth floor window? You're in the sixth story. You don't have to scream out to the whole world the truth. But you're not allowed to lie. So even in the dishonesty, you've got to play mind games. How dare you play mind games? How dare you, Rabbi, say on a recording that you have to play mind games? Go back to what I told you before. Dishonesty for the sake of honesty and not honesty for the sake of dishonesty. When I talk to a Jew and I tell a Jew, how about start giving classes? Are you kidding, Rabbi? Me give classes? It's a play here. Who's right and who's wrong? When I talk to a person, take a leadership position. Me, a leadership position? Rabbi, do you know what goes on in my life? Do you know what goes on in my kitchen? Do you know what goes on in my house? I can't be a leader. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. And if you're so stuck in your honesty that you're not worthy of being a leader, you should know that you're being dishonest to those people that you can help. Plain and simple English. It just gets that simple. So understand the definition of honesty and dishonesty. That's number one. Number two. So I told you about the hypocrisy factor. The fake it until you make it. The Yitzhahara is using honesty for dishonesty and we're using dishonesty for honesty. I want to tell you just another sake, another, another thing. And that's really the same thought, but just understand it better. Have you ever heard the saying, keep your eyes on the ball? Very simple saying, right? The definition of keep your eyes on the ball tonight means the ultimate truth. And keep your eyes on the ball means realize that sometimes what's going on with keeping your eyes on the ultimate truth is you're going to have to experience some things that you don't really feel is that honest and true. Don't be weak, simply speaking. If you want to get to life where you're supposed to be, where you're supposed to be is not just serving God with your soul, but also with your animalistic soul. 
Keep your eyes on the ball. Don't lie, but don't reveal the whole truth. Think about how many times someone convinced you to do something and later you said, if I would have known what this entails, I would have never done it. The person lied to you, right? He tricked you into it. But what happens is if he wouldn't have tricked you into it, you wouldn't have done it, and you wouldn't have done it, you would not have experienced who you could really be. It's very simple. Sometimes you need to trick yourself into it. You hear me talk a lot about recovery from addiction. One of the famous things they say in addiction recovery is one day at a time. Wrong. It's not really one day at a time. Addiction recovery means that you're never going to pick up another drink. You're never going to smoke another joint. You're never going to shoot up another. That's what it really means. But don't think that way. Don't talk about that. One day at a time. That's a trick. But that trick is the ultimate reality. Because your entire future life is really made up of one day at a time. So again, no, what are you talking about one day at a time? I'm not joining no recovery program for one day at a time. I want to be sober for the rest of my life. Who's honesty for the sake of dishonesty? And who's dishonesty for the sake of honesty? Let me tell you another thing. Let's talk Yiddishkeit. How many times do I tell people, start with kosher in your home? What kind of kosher is that in your home? So in my home, I eat empire. But on the road, I eat Wendy's. Yes, true. Start with kosher at home. Most people who became kosher, that's the way they became kosher. Let me tell you something else. How do you become Shomer Shabbat? You know how you become Shomer Shabbat? When you're in the car, don't turn on the radio. I have to get to where I have to get to, but I don't have to listen to the radio on Shabbat. It's these little tricks, these little dishonest tricks that help you realize, you know what? I always thought I couldn't. Not so hard. These little things I can do. And before long, changes are taking place in your life. And the fact that these changes are taking place means that that is the truth. But you're 100% right. Two years ago, keeping kosher, Shomer Shabbat, was dishonest. I could never do it. So I lied to myself. I tricked myself one day at a time. One little part of Shabbat at a time. One little part of kosher at a time. All it meant was that on my way home from Wendy's, no doggy bags, because I can't bring it into my house. That's all, and that's okay. That's okay. That's how Jacob has to deal with Asaph. So if I want to sum up tonight's class in one line, the animalistic soul is honest for the sake of dishonesty. Jacob is dishonest for the sake of honesty. And yet even in Jacob's dishonesty, you're not allowed to lie. But you don't have to say the whole truth. I hope this was clear tonight. Thanks, guys.